What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Welcome back. Uh, I know we took a little bit of a break there. My name is Bob. I am your host, and as always, I'm talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? We picked a good week to have a break, Bob, because uh, let's just say it could have turned into an episode of First Take had we <laughs> recorded last week Yeah. after what happened with the Cavs. Yeah, I think you would have probably done your best Stephen A. impression, and anytime I talked, you would have played My Heart Will Go On, because <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how we both react to, to sad news, but um, yeah, definitely a, a good time to take a break, I'd say. But we're back. Thank you all for coming back. Uh, it was our first week off since we started uh, in February of 2015, so Bob, pretty good Iron Man streak, but... Uh, I'm glad to be back from the road. It's been kind of a crazy travel yeah. quarter for me. Uh, one more big trip coming up. Uh, I'm actually pretty excited for that one, and uh, we'll get to more on that uh, <laughs> later. But, uh, man, do we have to do this, Bob? Do we have to talk about it? Do we have to open up the scab? It uh, just healed, man. I, th- I think this will be a good good postmortem and you know, close the book on this season. So, yeah, Chris, I mean – what went wrong in these NBA Finals? Cavs losing in five games to the Golden State Warriors. The short answer, everything. Yeah. Um, the, the long answer is twofold. Uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, as much as it pains me to say it, as much as it pains Cleveland fans to think about it, the Golden State Warriors are an all-time great team. Uh, I know they didn't win the Magic three in a row, but you think about it, they're one game away from being a three-peat. They won... They've won 67, 73, and 67 games. They went 16-1 and one in the playoffs this last year. Um, you, you do have to tip your hat to greatness. And, and, and I'm not – we're going to talk a lot about the Cavs. Uh, at the end of the day, the Warriors did win the championship, and, and hats off to them and their greatness. All that said, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers could have played a lot better in this series. Um, I think what's most disappointing about the loss is I don't believe the Cavs played their best. I don't believe that the, the gap between the two teams is this wide. And, and I don't believe that we'll, – we'll talk about this later, but I don't believe that the Cavs need to sh- drastically shake things up um, to, to get to the Warriors' level. Um, let, let's just rewind the clock to Game 3. Cavs had the ball up six, three minutes left. They don't score another bucket. Uh, that right there is, is the microcosm of the series. Best shooters missing wide open looks. Terrible rebounding. Golden State Warriors getting second and third chance opportunities during that run. And too much iso ball. And, and the problem with the Cavs can be summed up in those three things. When you play a team like the Warriors who, who, who move the ball beautifully and harmoniously, you can't play iso ball. Every time the Cavs went to iso ball, the Warriors seemed to go on a huge run. It, it just it just doesn't work against a team like Golden State. Uh, rebounding was supposed to be the backbone, the, the huge advantage the Cavs had, and, and I felt like the Warriors just ate them up on the glass. I, I don't care what the total numbers are. The Warriors got second, third, and in some cases, fourth chance opportunities. And, and just there were times where the Cavs played great defense for 23 seconds, and then, oh, man offensive rebound and and when the Warriors get an offensive rebound it's like triple a backbreaker because they're so deadly offensively and and, and it's so hard to get those stops 
And, and then guys like I know J.R. Smith bounced back in the last three games, and he ultimately shot like 58% from the field or from three-point land. But Kyle Korver was a huge letdown. Um, you know, I felt like he was brought in to be another super three-point specialist, and he just did not have any impact on the series. And I felt in general the Cavs struggled to make big open threes late in the game. Uh, so, so when you look at that three minutes, that game three, if the Cavs just score one or two buckets, we're talking about a game six and probably a really good series. Uh, that three minutes, to me, showcased everything they did wrong in this series. And, and it ultimately was the backbreaker because once Golden State went up 3-0, it was pretty much over. Yeah, for sure. That game three, obviously the hardest part uh, of that whole series. Um, I, I agree with everything you said, uh, your entire analysis. Um, J.R. Smith, yeah, was was very disappointing in those first two games. Tristan Thompson as well. I, I, he he disappeared for, for a long time uh, during this series. Um, but I, I just want to say, I, I, if you ask me what went wrong in the NBA Finals, I, I don't want to oversimplify it too much, but I mean, this is really simple. The Warriors have four superstars and the Cavs had three. And we can talk about the role players for the Cavs not stepping up. We thought the bench was going to be a possible X factor for the Cavs, but there's just one more star on on the Warriors and and the Cavs were were outmatched for most of that. Now, they certainly had moments where they they could have reentered the series. Uh, Those games one and two, they they played them tight for for moments for spells, uh, but there's there was more star power on the Warriors than the Cavs, and I that's a very general simplification of what went wrong. But I, when I, when I think back on it, that's really the most satisfying answer to me is that the the Warriors have more stars than the Cavs. Well, I mean, I do think that's that's a simple answer. It, it, it's mostly true I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you everyone talks about the big four I, I really do think it's a big four and a half everyone forgets Andre Iguodala was a superstar in his prime and and, and if he's your fifth best player I mean that that's a darn good fifth best player I mean I, I do think they are a little bit more than just the big four but that only reinforces your point uh, I, I think the big difference between the Cavs big three and the Warriors big four is, is this I don't think the Cavs, we'll get to that in a minute, but the biggest difference is the Warriors not only have a big four, but they have two of the five best players in the game in Durant and Curry, two of the three best offensive players in the game in Durant and Curry, and then they also have two guys who are all NBA first team caliber defenders. And I think that's critical. You can stick Draymond Green on LeBron James. You can stick Klay Thompson on Kyrie Irving. And you can hide Steph Curry on a shooter. You can hide Kevin Durant on a guy like Tristan Thompson or a guy like Kevin Love, who he's not going to have to work as hard against. You know, Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson are not going to challenge Kevin Durant uh, the way like a LeBron James will. Kevin Durant struggles against perimeter kind of forwards, but when you get a guy of Kevin Durant's athleticism in the paint, he can just eat people for breakfast unless he's going up against a guy like maybe DeMarcus Cousins or Anthony Davis, which obviously the Cavs don't have. I think that was the biggest difference in the series. I think the smartest adjustment Ty Lue made was, okay, Kevin Durant's on fire. LeBron is expending too much effort on defense here. Let's just put anyone on Durant, let him get his 35 and save LeBron for offense. I I think that was a smart way to go about it because you needed LeBron more on offense than you did defense. You cannot hide LeBron James because 
He needs to be so good defensively. Uh, the the guys like Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving are, are just not all NBA level defenders, and, and honestly, the Cavs don't have anybody else on their team who defend at the level of Clay Thompson or Draymond Green. So I, yeah. I I think that is the biggest difference between the Warriors and the Cavs is that two of their superstars are elite defenders as well, where the Cavs' best player is also their best defender, and, and that can really wear wear you out when you have to guard a guy like Kevin Durant. Yeah. So let, let me ask you, I mean, I think you and I both agree LeBron between these two teams, best player on the court. He averaged a triple double in, in this series, which was insane. Uh, that's, you know, we were kind of used to seeing that. Uh, would you say that the Warriors had the next four best players on the court? Not next four. Um, that's a really good question. That is a really good question. I, I do think Kyrie Irving is better than Clay Thompson, but it's close. Yeah, I think Kyrie Irving. You could you could make an argument that Kyrie Irving would break in there, and the Warriors would have four of the next six. Because I think all four of the Warriors are better than Kevin Love. And that's not to say Kevin Love's bad. I think he's top twenty. I just don't think he's on the level. I mean, the Warriors have four at worst top twelve players. I would argue that they're all in the top ten. But so so it's no knock on Kevin Love. But I do think Kyrie Irving maybe could be ahead of Clay Thompson. You could convince me of that. But but yeah, it's close. They easily have the next three best. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, that's that, that's tough to come against. I mean, you know, I I, I was upset obviously uh, with this with, with the Cavs losing, but um, I, I don't know. I when Kevin Durant joined them last summer, I've had this slow dread in the back of my mind for this entire NBA season, and so when the the Warriors finally won the finals, I wasn't as shocked and sad that they won the finals because I essentially had been expecting that and slowly resigning myself to that since last July. Uh, I, I, I still have trouble wrapping my head around the Warriors starting five and and what they can roll out. I I just think that they are so good. Uh, It's hard. Well, I'm not shocked that they won. I'm disappointed how they won. I I think what anger, what, what, angers me the most about the NBA Finals isn't necessarily that the Warriors won. I, I think anyone in Cleveland who's surprised by this result it was living in delusion land. And, and honestly, if the Cavs had beaten the Warriors, the Warriors shouldn't have been shocked by that result either. I, I don't think the Cavs are that much worse than the Warriors. I think the surprising part was that the Warriors, for four of the five games, dominated the Cavs and and I know game three the Cavs should have won but when you hold another team to no points in the last three minutes that's domination and I understand the Cavs were close and moments in those other three losses but they were all lopsided victories and so I think that's what disappointed me the most is that it shouldn't have been this lopsided. I think the Cavs had so many self-inflicted wounds lapses on offense and defense and just bad shots and missed easy shots that honestly I I would have been if they had lost in seven games I wouldn't be as disappointed or even six if they were close but but just the way they looked lost out there at times really angered me because they're they're not that bad of a team and I don't think the gap is that as wide as it is even with all of Golden State's star power. Yeah, so I mean, we, we we ran through some of the culprits on the Cavs that should shoulder some of that blame. What about Ty Lue? How, what, how well do you think he coached through that finals? 
I don't think he coached exceptional. I, I think he is taking a lot of blame, and, and he should. I mean, he did. You know, he didn't do a great job. But when you lose like they do, really, no coach is going to look good. I, I honestly think it's more execution than coaching. I do think Lou made some adjustments that worked, namely moving LeBron off Kevin Durant. Now. You can say it didn't work because Kevin Durant still scored a bunch of points, but he was scoring a bunch of points against LeBron James. Get him off Kevin Durant. Let Durant have his epic series and save LeBron James' energy. I thought that was a good adjustment. He did adjust during the series. I think putting Shumpert in and giving him more minutes was a good move. I do think he tried some new things defensively to give him a spark. I just don't think the execution was there. I mean, it's not Ty Lue's fault that Tristan Thompson forgot to buy a ticket to L, uh, to, to San Francisco or Oakland <laughs> yeah. or whatever the heck that stadium is right now. Uh, it's not his fault that Tristan Thompson forgot how to rebound. I mean, I counted four times in the series that Steph Curry was getting a rebound over Tristan Thompson. As great as Steph Curry is, the only way that happens is if Tristan Thompson isn't doing his job. I'm sorry. I don't care how great Steph Curry is. He should never be getting a rebound over Tristan Thompson. That That is not coaching. And I think I would say it's 60-40 execution to coaching. You have to blame coaching when you look so lost out there. But it, but but I do think it was more player execution than, than anything else. And, and that, again, it just gets back to why I'm so disappointed in the loss. Not so much that Golden State won. That doesn't It didn't surprise me that they won because they were a great team. The Cavs just looked so bad every game they lost. Yeah, I mean, it, it, are you blaming him for all the isolation ball that the Cavs played, especially in the second half of of these games? I mean, I, I I have trouble believing that a coach would continuously call those plays. But on the other hand, I, I, were LeBron and Kyrie just waving off the play calls? Well, I don't know. I, I have no idea what the answer to that question is. But here, here's what I will say. The one constant in LeBron James's career is that in big crunch time moments, he likes to clear, he likes to wave his teammates, signaling them to clear out and go isolation. He did it all the way back to 2006. I remember him doing it against the New Jersey Nets in the Eastern Conference semifinals uh, in that 2007 run when they were up big in that game six and the Nets r- made a huge run and I was getting really mad. Were they we were at playing that a game? Lot of isolation then. What? Were you at that game? I wasn't at that game. This was a game in New Jersey. Oh, okay. We went to a Nets game. We were at the game five yeah. they lost. We were at the game five they lost. Yeah. But the the point is, this is not something new. I mean, you know, do you believe that Mike Brown, Eric Spolstra, David Blatt, and Ty Lue all share the same isolation ball philosophy? <laughs> I, I'm just serious. I mean, this is this is not something LeBron has done under one coach. This is four different coaches on two different teams, and it's the same plays. Like, do you really believe that those four different coaches who have never been assistants for one another share the same? Well, okay, Ty Lue is an assistant for David Blatt, but other than that, had really no relationship with David Blatt, share the same isolation ball philosophy? It's not like they've revolutionized the NBA with it. I, I, I honestly put the iso ball blame more on LeBron and Kyrie than I do Ty Lue just because of LeBron's history with it. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's who I think is to blame for the isolation ball. I, I agree with you, and that's a really good point about all those coaches for sure. Um, all right, well, this series definitely featured a lot of star power. It featured 
uh, I think the the two best players in the league right now, Kevin Durant and LeBron James. Kevin Durant gets his first title, uh, beating LeBron, who last time Kevin Durant was in the finals, LeBron beat him for his first title. Uh, does this mean mark the passing of the torch from LeBron James to Kevin Durant in your eyes? No, because as you said, LeBron James still averaged triple-double in that series. It's not like LeBron just scored three points a game or something like that. I mean, look, I, I get it. You know, Kevin Durant, this is going to be the year of the Durant, and, and it should be. He got his first championship. He finally, And he's a phenomenal player who's going to the Hall of Fame, certainly deserving of a championship. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Kevin Durant. It's not like I'm saying he's number 50 on the list. He's number two. But I just think all-around play, I think LeBron is the better defender. I know Kevin Durant had a renaissance year defensively, but when you go, when you're only asked to be the third or fourth best defender on your team, a little bit easier with your athleticism to take out guys in the post like Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love. I do think LeBron is overall the better player, um, but certainly there's no doubt that this is going to ignite a conversation because up until this series, it's not like you know Kevin Durant has ever had one on LeBron. LeBron has royally owned Kevin Durant historically until this NBA Finals. And while I think this is a big feather in Kevin Durant's cap for his legacy, and I certainly think people will make the argument. I just don't think that that it that it's even close right now. LeBron has been to seven straight finals, three championships, four MVPs. I mean, before this series, Bob, we were talking about LeBron v. Michael Jordan, and I've never heard Kevin Durant v. Michael Jordan or any all-time great. So, you know, if you got one guy chasing an all-time great, I still think Kevin Durant has some work to do before he chases down that best player in the NBA, and it's just how good, great LeBron is. Um, so, no, I don't think he's past LeBron, but I do think he took a huge step forward in cementing what is a great career uh, for him. Yeah, I, I, that's that's all. Uh, those are all good points. You know, it took seven years, seven straight trips to the NBA Finals before people were willing to acknowledge that LeBron might be on the same plane as Michael Jordan. So for us to just switch over immediately once we got to that conversation to Kevin Durant after one NBA Final Championship, I think is a little preemptive. Now, this could be the mark of Kevin Durant's era should he go on to win multiple titles uh, over the next. A uh, few years, but as of right now, we're still in the air. LeBron, he's averaged a triple double in, in the finals. He arguably had the, the best season uh, that he's had since returning to Cleveland uh, at the age of 32. So I, I think we are still in the LeBron era, but this could certainly mark the start of Kevin Durant should that Warriors team uh, continue to, to play at this historically high level. Don't you think it's funny how LeBron James has become a sympathetic figure? After what Kevin Durant did, leaping, leaving uh, Oklahoma City for Golden State, I, I just find it hilarious how so many people are saying what Kevin Durant did was worse than LeBron James. I, I, I think they're exactly the same thing, virtually exactly the same thing. All he did was he left for a better situation. I, I do not hold that against him in in the least. And I just think it's so funny how LeBron has become such a sympathetic figure in light of what Kevin Durant did. <laughs> he basically did the same thing. Yeah, I, I think there are some subtle differences. Mainly, you know, he this is the team that beat him in the playoffs last year when he had a 3-1 lead against them. Uh, going to an existing roster that was already historically great. I, I don't know. There, there are subtle differences, but I get what you're saying. Like The, I, the same people that... 
uh, hated on LeBron for him moving, uh, myself included, uh, now feel sorry for him or empathize with him and, and hate Kevin Durant. So yeah, I, 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 there is some irony in that for sure. It's amazing what a uniform change will do <laughs> on both sides. Because yeah. if LeBron were still wearing a Heat uniform, there would be no empathy in Cleveland. Right, for sure. I would still hate him. Um, speaking of, of LeBron's legacy, uh, three and five in the NBA Finals, uh, what, what does that do? I mean, we were just we, entering this NBA Finals. We were, we were talking LeBron versus Jordan. We thought if he won this Finals, you know, he might surpass him. What does this do to his legacy? First off, I, the Jordan talk was a little premature. Um, I don't think he was there yet before the NBA Finals. Uh, I think that he... Look, LeBron's a phenomenal player. Certainly going to go... Easily going to be one of the 10 best players to ever play the game when all said and done. You Probably top five. But when you're talking about a guy like Jordan, all he did for the NBA as far as making it a marketable product... Um, and then and then going six and zero in the NBA Finals. I mean, is I'm not saying a three and five record in the NBA Finals is bad because you still went to eight finals. I think you got to look at it that way. But Jordan never lost in the NBA Finals, and he has six rings. More importantly, and I'm sorry, I disagree with anyone who says, yeah, well, take away Jordan's six rings and LeBron's better. Well, of course, of course. You know I mean, you take away anyone's best argument, and you're probably going to beat them. But you can't just erase the fact that Michael Jordan won three in a row twice and was hailed in his prime as the greatest to ever play. That is a tall task for anyone. And even if LeBron James falls short of that, it would still be a phenomenal career. Um, so I don't think a 3-5 and five record hurts his legacy. Going to eight finals only helps. But I do think if you're going to run down Michael Jordan... You have to bring more than three championships to the table. He is going to have to win one or two more to legitimately have a claim to Jordan's throne. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the Jordan race, yeah, I, there are Jordan supporters that as long as LeBron doesn't have six titles, they, they will not acknowledge that LeBron is on the plane of Michael Jordan. But if you look past that, you know, LeBron is certainly the best player to play since Michael Jordan, I think uh, he, he surpa- surpassed Kobe Bryant. Uh, I think that he is now entering discussion to be a top five player ever in the NBA. Uh, so I, I think LeBron James' his legacy is certainly set uh, where it's going to finish in retrospect with Michael Jordan. That still is to be determined, and I agree with you. Uh, he needs to win some more titles for uh Jordan supporters to actually acknowledge that that debate and, and to continue to acknowledge that debate. So, yeah, I, I, I think his legacy is certainly going to have him go down as one of the best basketball players to ever play in the NBA. Whether he's going to be the best uh, still needs some work to do. Uh, I, I do think that an interesting wrinkle in Kevin Durant going to Golden State is that, you know, like we said, there's more empathy for LeBron and there's almost a scapegoat now for LeBron to to reason for not winning those NBA Finals. It, dealing with this Golden State juggernaut, I don't think that that's going to sway some of those Jordan supporters. But I think more people are rallying behind LeBron because he is facing uh, such a difficult task in beating those Golden State Warriors. Well, and let's let's do a hypothetical. Let's say LeBron gets two more, and he goes five and five all time. 
Hold that up at, at, at that against Jordan six. I mean, does five extra appearances make up for the fact that he has one fewer ring? I, I would say yes. So, <coughs> the book is not finished yet on LeBron James. He still can do great things. Um, and, and I agree with you, Bob. There are, there are people who aren't going to look past the six titles, but I don't think, and I also agree with you that three is not enough. You know, you got to get a few more to, to let those appearances carry some weight. Because winning three and going to eight is certainly all-time greatness, but it's not better than six and oh. Um, I, I do think he will need to get a couple more championships to chase down Jordan. But other than that, I mean, who else are we really comparing him to? Because there are guys who have more rings like Kobe, Shaq, Duncan. All those guys have more rings than LeBron, but but nobody's arguing whether or not LeBron's better than them. And so so I don't think his legacy is hurt in any way by this loss other than the fact that it's going to hurt him in the great chase for Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um all right, well, uh, Chris, uh, early predictions for, for next season have Warriors and, and Cavs again in the finals. But, Chris, b- before we get there, uh, NBA offseason is happening. Can, can the Cavs improve? Can they add some pieces, make some adjustments to beat these Warriors? It's going to be tough. I mean, I think anyone who's expecting uh, Paul George is uh, living on another planet. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to swing a move where they uh, get another superstar and get a big four. I think the only way that happens is they trade one of the big three, which I I honestly, I think that's going to be very tricky to pull off. Um, I could see them moving a guy like Shumpert or J.R. Smith or maybe somebody else to maybe try and improve the bench maybe make a draft day trade or something along those lines. I, I think whatever move they make is going to be more on the second tier level and, and getting deeper and maybe adjusting to try and combat the Warriors, maybe go after some guys who are a little more defense oriented so that way um, they can you know, frustrate Steph Curry or get Kevin Durant a little bit more on the other side of the ball. Um, but, but other than that, I, I don't think that there's going to be wide sweeping changes here. A, I don't think you need it because I don't think they're that far off. And B, uh, I just don't know how plausible it is to add another superstar like people are hoping. So I don't think the Cavs um, can get significantly better. I do think the Warriors have an interesting offseason. We'll see if uh, if all these guys are serious about taking less money like they say. Um, but that, that'll be interesting to watch. If, if the Warriors lose uh, a player in free agency, that, that could change the dynamic a little bit. Yeah, I mean... We'll, we'll see how much is less, you know, uh, difference between $28 million and $30 million. I don't know. But um, in terms of the Cavs, uh, yeah, I mean, the Cavs are capped out. Uh, they have very little draft assets that they can move. They have very little intriguing uh, trade prospects uh, on their team. If you're not going to move one of those superstars, I'd say Shumpert is the only one, and he's going to be 27 next year. Uh, I'm with uh, two years left on, on his contract, the player option for that second year. And, you know, Shumper has had a came to Cleveland with a ton of potential, hasn't really lived up or shown signs of improvement. So I'm, I'm not sure what you can get back for that. Um, so for the Cavs to, to, to bring in a superstar, now you're looking at a trade and, you know, the Warriors 
added a superstar without subtracting every anything. I mean, they moved some pieces around, but they didn't have to give up their key assets, their key stars. That's what the Cavs would have to do to push themselves and improve onto a level of the Golden State Warriors. They would have to keep the big three and add in a superstar uh, to make that big four, like you said. I don't see how they could possibly do that given their cap situation and their lack of draft assets. So, uh, yeah, I don't think Paul George is coming over here. I don't think uh, DeMarcus Cousins is coming over here unless they move Kevin Love and then it's just pretty much a uh, an even trade with, with different personnel that you're not even sure if they're going to work out or not. What we do know is that this Cavs roster currently constructed can cruise through the Eastern Conference, and they show no signs of slowing down in the Eastern Conference. Nobody in the Eastern Conference, uh, given what I saw this year, given the available free agents uh, this summer, the available draft picks, and the uh, available stars on the trade market, I don't see anybody in the Eastern Conference being able to supplant the Cavs next season in the Eastern Conference. So if you can cruise through the East already and get to the finals, what's not to say the Warriors get to the finals again next year, but are a little banged up. One of their guys is hurt. Now you have a chance. I mean, now you have a much greater chance of of beating the Golden State Warriors. I don't think the Cavs need to break up the big three, make a lot of drastic changes. Yes, they're obviously going to shuffle around, trying to improve that bench in creative ways, but I don't really see the Cavs making any big moves this summer. Or not just that. Draymond Green could revert to the nutcracker. The Spurs could make a big move and knock him off. Or uh, maybe Kevin Durant just isn't an epic player next year that he was this year. So, yeah, I agree with you, Bob. If if you have a team that has a awesome chance of getting to the NBA Finals, you know, I don't think they should mess with it too much. I do think there are things they can do to get better, but uh, I, realistically, I, I think this is pr- going to be a very similar team as it was uh, this year, they're going to have to look internally and try to do things better to combat the Warriors. Maybe execute, work on the the brightest, the, the the silver lining in the dark loss is the Cavs didn't play their best. There is a lot of on court improvement they can make with this team, and if they work next year, all off season and all next year in doing that then certainly I think that there will be a better result next year. It's not a given they'll beat the Warriors, but but Bob, I think I can't see either of these teams being seriously challenged next year, um, even if there is a major shakeup uh, somewhere. Yeah, um, th- there's talk of the Spurs getting Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry in the offseason. That would be really intriguing, but other than the Spurs, I don't see any other team being able to pull off a move that would put them on the plane of the Cavs or the Warriors. I agree with you. I think we're headed for uh, Cavs Warriors round four next season, barring any major injury. This is turning into a nice trilogy. I mean, this is turning, this is evolving from a nice trilogy to more of a Friday the Thirteenth kind of <laughs> sequel every year kind of event. Yeah. Um, as a Cavs fan, I'd love it, but. Uh, if it goes four or five years of this, I think most of the casual NBA fans are going to get sick of it. Certainly the, the regional NBA fan, a, a loyal team fan, is, is just going to take a break for a couple of years. I mean, there, there are a lot of casual NBA fans that would probably eat this up, but if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan, I mean, what are you going to watch for the next three years? No sympathy to Lakers or Celtics fans because I'm sick and tired of hearing that their teams are the only teams that matter. 
this is the good part about it. Two other teams that haven't had any success are doing what they did and t- stealing their thunder while they pick one and two in the draft, or formerly one and two in the draft. We'll get to that trade in just a little bit, but uh, the it, it is good to see those two franchises in the pits and uh, the other two dominating. Though, though Boston was in the Eastern Conference Finals. I, it's not really the true number one overall pick for them. That, I, that That's a mischaracterization. Boston is definitely not in the pits, but the Lakers are. Yeah, and I mean, they're still in the shadow of LeBron, so I don't think they'll be getting out of that, uh, at least for next year. Um, but yeah, that, that's the NBA season. 2016-2017 uh, NBA season is a wrap. Obviously, we got the NBA draft, NBA offseason. It was always crazy, so we'll tune back in, see what the Cavs are able to pull off, get creative with, with their moves, and, and uh, reappraise the season when it reopens in just four months. I mean, it's not, not that long of, of a break uh, till, till we're talking Cavs basketball again. Uh, but moving on to the news, Chris, uh, the Browns did the smart thing with their number one overall pick, took Miles Garrett. Everybody applauded that, uh, and he's already in a walking boot. Uh, <laughs> how scared uh, are you for, for Miles Garrett's foot injury? Well, not anymore because the Browns announced on Saturday that he just had a lateral sprain and he's expected to be expected to be ready for training camp next month. So that is great news that it's not too serious. At least it doesn't look too serious. So hopefully it isn't because, Bob, I mean, that that's just the nightmare scenario. We've seen this a million times. We could go over and over and over. Uh, the Charles Bentley comes to mind. He wasn't a draft pick, but he was a big free agent signing. Uh, got hurt in the first play of non-contract practice and never played a down for the browns or a significant down yeah. for the browns and uh and sued the browns so you obviously don't want that to happen um so so it's good to see that it doesn't look too serious yeah it, certainly that's the best news is that he'll he'll be ready for, for training camp at the, at the end of july um the only concerning part is miles garrett has had a prior history of foot injuries uh is this gonna be uh, the normal thing where he's battling these I hope not, but uh, knowing the Browns and their dumb luck that they have, I mean, it's hard not to go there. So uh, best of news in the short term, but it it does give me pause to wonder if this is going to be an ongoing thing. Let's hope it is not. Yeah. Well, (laughs) moving on to the Cleveland Indians, bouncing back from uh, uh, kind of a rough start against the L.A. Dodgers. They're on a five-game winning streak now, though. Uh, capping off the weekend with a four-game sweep of the Minnesota Twins and are now firmly in first place uh, in the AL Central. Chris, that is really good news, right? Phenomenal news. First off, good to see Saturday some young guys, Ryan Merritt, Mike Clevenger pitching well. Good to see the bullpen get back on track. Andrew Miller had two rough games against the Dodgers, and uh, the defense was shaky in the game I went to on Wednesday. Good to see him bounce back on Thursday and then just take it to the Twins. Um, obviously great news to see him winning five in a row. Yeah, definitely good news. Uh, and I agree. Good to see those guys step up. Also, Edwin Encarnacion is on a home run tear, which uh, finally is fantastic to see. Obviously that's what they're paying him to do. So it's good to see him back in the cleanup spot and, and hitting some dingers. The parrot is finally out. That <laughs> is a welcome sight to see the parrot come out multiple times finally Edwin's starting to get that average up starting to get that pop back uh hopefully this is a sign that the offense is starting to turn around Francisco Lindor was in a huge slump kind of broke out of it just a little bit over the last weekend hopefully he can continue 
that momentum because uh, he started off hot, but he slowed down a bit. But he did hit his 13th home run over the weekend, so that 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 was obviously very good news. Yeah, for sure. I think Encarnacion uh, responsible for all five runs uh, in, in today's win against the Twins with two home runs, two moonshots, plus a couple uh, RBIs from a base hit and sacrifice fly. So that's fantastic for sure. Um, now some news in the NBA. Uh, we alluded to it uh, a little bit before the Boston Celtics and 70, Philadelphia 76ers uh, announcing that they've agreed to a trade where the Celtics will trade their number one overall pick in exchange for the 76ers number three overall pick and a 2018 uh, Los Angeles Lakers pick owned by the 76ers that has a whole bunch of dumb protections on it that might result in the Celtics getting a Sacramento Kings pick instead. But Chris, uh, not often you see the NBA uh, team trading the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. What are you making of this trade? It's not a shocker that the Celtics traded the number one pick because the two best prospects were point guards. Boston obviously doesn't need a point guard having Isaiah Thomas. I think this is a good sign that they are committing to Isaiah Thomas, uh, though if they go around and draft uh, Lonzo Ball, that, that could be a shocker if, if the Lakers pass on him, which I don't think is going to happen. But uh, certainly not a shocker. It's surprising that they did it with the 76ers. I, I thought maybe the number one pick would go to somebody else. Um, still waiting to see if a guy like Paul George or Jimmy Butler or something like that will come into the free into the into the sort of the draft day trade market. Uh, I do think that the the Celtics are acquiring yet another first round pick asset that they could package for a superstar if they so choose. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, though, Bob, if they don't make a move until after the draft, maybe sign a guy in free agency and then make the trade so they could use their cap space to sign a guy and then trade for another guy. That is what I think the master plan might be. And so if they have Isaiah Thomas and are able to add two other pieces there, that could change my opinion about how uh, – easy of a playground the Eastern Conference would be for the Cavs I I think that might be the master plan it's just a matter of whether or not there is a superstar available on the trade market yeah I mean the Boston Celtics have to cash in those chips at some point this is a team that uh, was the second best team in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference and finished with the best record uh, in the Eastern Conference so I get it a number one overall pick uh, rookie would not exactly help you get over that hump you're trying to get more assets but you got to cash in at some point uh with the news coming out this weekend that paul george uh told the pacers he's not coming back after this season uh that severely lowers his uh return value on the trade market the celtics would certainly be able to pull off a a deal to get him uh, in a celtics uniform for this season uh is that their play i don't know i agree with you jimmy butler might also be in play uh, I'm more intrigued about what the Celtics are going to do and what their master plan is. With the 76ers, this makes total sense. They've drafted forward after forward and center after center in these past drafts have have not drafted uh, a guard. If they sat at number three, chances are the two best point guards would already be off the market. So now they get their choice between Fultz and Lonzo Ball, uh, and they can finally kind of complete uh, their their rebuild or at least the the assets that they're investing in for their rebuild and and, and field a, a fully uh, drafted team now. Uh, so it makes sense for both sides. 
Fultz, Embiid, and Ben Simmons could be a solid big three if they all stay healthy and, of course, Fultz pans out. I, I think it's going to be Fultz, Bob. Uh, not, nothing against Lonzo Ball, uh, but I do think that Markel Fultz will be the pick. And, and don't forget, they also drafted Jaleel Okafor at number three overall. Uh, he has not lived up to the hype so far, but certainly uh, has a lot, had a lot of talent in t- college. They traded Netherlands Noel to Dallas, uh, sort of giving uh, him the vote of confidence. So uh, it, it certainly um, it certainly is an intriguing team brewing in Philadelphia. Uh, obviously, probably a year or two away, just with all the youth. But uh, if Fultz pans out and, and the other two guys can stay healthy, uh, it certainly uh, could be a bright future for the 76ers. Well, yeah, and, and Dario Saric as well might win Rookie of the Year this year, uh, power forward for them. So. They could field a, a, a starting five that uh, it has oozes potential. So uh, that very intriguing uh, in the next few years for the 76ers. A, a good move for them. Um, all right, well, let's move on to uh, your fake headline. What do you have? All right, look, man, I, I don't like the fact that, that, that Lonzo Ball, that I'm doing this to him uh, because, you know, he's just a kid. I can't stand his dad like most people. So I hope Lonzo Ball goes undrafted and the big baller brand just falls apart because of it. It's definitely not going to happen, but I can certainly hope that I wake up on Friday and see that headline because that would just be a wonderful thing. Yeah, that, that would be really funny. Uh, again, I, I agree with you. I, I don't like hating on Lonzo because of his dad, but I hate Lonzo because of his dad. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the reality of it. Uh, that would be pretty funny. Um, mine is uh, a, a, a feature of my fake headlines. I've talked about him a couple of times, I think. But we, we talked about what the Cavs can do to improve this roster. They don't have many options. One option that they do have is calling on one of LeBron's friends. And I'm looking at Mr. Dwayne Wade, who has a player option to, to come back in Chicago. He can opt out of that and sign, for, sign with the Cavs for cheap. Uh, and that would certainly be uh, an improvement over J.R. Smith or Ramon Shumpert uh, and give the Cavs potentially a big four. Uh, and I would love to see him come out with some announcement this week that uh, he's rejoining his best friend in Cleveland. That would be nice. Uh, that, that, that's more plausible than any of the uh, crazy trade scenarios I'm seeing regarding the Cavs. Uh, yeah. Because of the connect and because he can be a free agent and because at this point Dwayne Wade might be willing to take less money. Yeah, it, it would require him walking away from a $23 million payday, though, so I'm not sure uh, yeah. his family would appreciate that, but I've seen crazier things, so who knows. Hey, we saw Carl Malone and Gary Payton sign for the veterans minimum to go to L.A. Maybe not Very the veterans true. minimum, but basically the veterans minimum. So Carl Malone is one of the best players to ever play this game. Uh, if he can do it, certainly anyone else can. So... Uh, you're right, Bob. When crazy things can happen. Yeah. It's either play for the Cavs and go to the finals or play for the Bulls who are poised to be garbage next year. So, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, if Jimmy Butler gets moved on draft day, that probably increases the odds of Dwayne Wade opting out. True. So. All righty. We will see what happens in the NBA draft uh, this upcoming week. Uh, we'll obviously be recapping that on our next podcast. But, but the Cavs probably won't be too involved with it. So thus ends the 2017 Cleveland Cavaliers season. It was a great trip to the NBA Finals. The ending was not 
to be desired, but it was still fun to watch. And now we're moving on to the summer. Cleveland Indians starting to heat up. Got the cue from the Cavs. Got to get us out of this despair, and they certainly have helped out so far. We will be back next Monday to talk all about it. Please come back to FenleyRoadSports.com. Check out our old episodes of Clee Talk. You can subscribe to Clee Talk via iTunes. Search Fenley Road Sports. Click Clee Talk. It's just that simple. Or you can go to FenleyRoadSports.com and click the iTunes icon in the upper right-hand corner. You can follow us on social media, Instagram, or Twitter by searching Fenley Road Sports. We appreciate your support. Hope you come back next week for another episode of Clee Talk where we talk Cleveland sports all the time, every week. Until then, Bob, go Tribe. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go Tribe. Take it easy, Bob.